This is WRAL News, your number one source for local news. From protests to more support for small business to having the ability to test yourself for COVID-19 in your own home. There are plenty of headlines to talk about and dissect this half hour. Hello and thanks for joining us. I'm Gerald Owens. And I'm Deborah Morgan. We are here to help you make sense of it all, starting with the efforts to flatten the curve. At this hour, North Carolina has more than 7,000 confirmed cases with 240 deaths and more than 400 people are in the hospital. Tonight, we dig deeper into these numbers. We will hear from one of the experts working to flatten the curve in North Carolina. We also check in with WREL digital reporter Tyler Dukes about the challenges of reporting some of these numbers and the efforts he and other news outlets are taking to provide you accurate information. Several new relief efforts were announced today at the state and federal levels. In Washington, a $484 billion deal passed in the U.S. Senate. It is now headed to the House. It includes more money for the Paycheck Protection Program. The deal would also offer $75 billion for hospitals and $25 billion for coronavirus testing. Nearly 1,000 people gathered to protest in Raleigh today, demanding that the state reopen. State lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, including Governor Cooper, support a plan to pump $75 million into additional support for small businesses through the Golden Leaf Foundation. The governor also announced a new executive order for furloughed workers. They will now be eligible for unemployment benefits. We covered those protests here on WRAL throughout the morning and into the afternoon. WRAL's Joe Fisher spoke with those who showed up today, people hoping to get North Carolina back to business as soon as possible. Some of the protesters shouted at police and the nurses who showed up out here to counter protest. But all in all, things remained pretty peaceful. Tonight, Raleigh police say they did not make any arrests. Where's your oath? They came holding signs. We have to say enough is enough. Holding flags. Our business is down 43%. Holding bullhorns. People are afraid to go out. They're afraid to do this. They're afraid to do that. Police say about 1,000 protesters showed up, circling the governor mansion, the legislative building and the Capitol for four hours. We're all going to be in poverty because we can't work. We can work with precautions. The protesters have joined a growing reopen NC movement, demanding Governor Roy Cooper lift the stay at home order, even with some risk. The very moment that we open up, it will increase our numbers because we've all been in the house. You can't stay in your house forever. Nurses and healthcare workers stood by quietly counter protesting, acknowledging the lack of social distancing. And the longer this kind of activity goes on, the longer it puts me and my coworkers and our families at risk. Anne Marie Somerville and her coworker Whitney LaFleur say more testing and tracing needs to happen before a very gradual reopening. What I fear the most is loved ones, coworkers becoming ill, which they already have, um, but to a greater extent. A deep divide as the emotions start to boil over. Social distancing was nearly impossible. The crowd started showing up two hours before this rally was supposed to start. At first, they were about six feet apart, but as those crowds grew, it became harder and harder. Quite frankly, some of them also think that this pandemic is overblown. They want to see the economy get back going. A lot of them were not wearing masks at all. Back to you. 
All right, Joe Fisher, thank you. I want to shift now to what's going on across the country. President Donald Trump and his team and the COVID-19 task force just wrapped up a short time ago. I want to show you on the screen right now some of the major headlines here. Let's start with that 60-day pause on immigration into the United States. The president says he'll revisit things after 60 days to see where we are if that needs to be extended. He was asked about Kim Jong-un's condition. The United States right now says it's unconfirmed how he's doing. He's been out of the spotlight, not heard from for the past several days. So there are some questions about how he's doing there in North Korea. Also, the major metropolitan areas are seeing improvements, not a huge influx of new cases, according to Dr. Deborah Burks. Here, take a listen. New Orleans is nearly back to their baseline of where they started um, for new infections. Um, we also are seeing improvements in Chicago and Boston, and that has been a great concern for us over the last several weeks, but they appear now to be flattening. The president did praise the lawmakers in Washington, D.C. and the Senate for passing the bill to get additional funding out to small businesses. Things now will shift to the House. That's expected to be signed and signed into law, getting more money out to those small businesses and workers by the end of the week. Back to you. Thank you, Mark. North Carolina leaders have said we need more testing before we can reopen our communities. And there is a new tool to make that happen. The Food and Drug Administration has authorized Pixel tests. They're made by North Carolina-based LabCorp. They allow patients to collect nasal swab samples at home, then mail them in for results. LabCorp's president says they have 60,000 tests available for purchase online right now. But those are reserved for first responders and medical workers. Do you have any concerns about the reliability of the results for an at-home test? We worked very closely with the FDA to validate every step in the process and make sure that it is just as good as the processes that, um, from a specimen collected in your doctor's office. And of course, President also says once the company receives your swab in the mail, they can get the results back to you in a matter of hours. The company hopes to ultimately expand the number of test kits and sell them more broadly. Two nonprofit organizations have teamed up to help distribute face masks to Latino, Asian, and other minority communities. WRL's Leslie Moreno tells us about this initiative and why it's something many say is needed. This entire area you see here behind me was packed. Dozens waited in line to get their face masks. Some even waited up to an hour, while others even called off work. As cities and towns begin making masks mandatory, though the Amante Arts and Cultural Center has partnered with Asian Focus to help distribute hundreds of face masks to minorities. They don't have access to it, and they're probably afraid to go to any establishments to try to purchase them. And so what we're looking for is to find a place where they are familiar with so they can come and get it. Through us. This is Santo. He's still working and he's had trouble finding masks. He says the turnout doesn't surprise him as he feels there aren't enough resources for minorities. This is Rose May. She waited in line for almost an hour. She had no luck finding masks either until now. This event was set up in hopes of giving community members of all backgrounds and color a chance to protect and inform themselves during this pandemic. There's a lot of resources, but there is not the translating and the being able to share it within the communities. It's going to vary a few amount of people. Diamante says thousands of people have contacted the organization asking for masks. 
A fund has been set up to raise $5,000 to purchase more. And the organizations will be distributing more face masks tomorrow at a different location. Head to WRAL.com for all the details. Leslie Moreno, WRAL News, Raleigh. Expect more lines if you plan to go on the hunt for discounted chicken tomorrow. House of Rayford has more drive through sales planned in our area. This is Sky 5 video from sales over the last several days. The sale in Creedmore is at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. In Raleigh, you can go to the state fairgrounds. Both sales officially start at 9 a.m. A part of our commitment to bringing you clear coronavirus coverage means analyzing the numbers and looking at the trends. Coming up, the efforts to look for trends in social distancing in North Carolina and what makes analyzing some of the numbers so difficult. Kat? And it's been a breezy day, but a beautiful day looking out over Dix Park as a cold front passed through. I'll let you know the impact this front will have on tomorrow's weather coming up. You're watching coverage you can count on with WRAL News. You know, the people that are advocating that we eliminate social distancing right now and that we just completely open up the economy, I mean, what they're really advocating for is that every single person in this country become infected with coronavirus uh, because that's what's going to happen if we throw things wide open. You know, so if you like your grandmother, you may not want to do that. Well, the opinions are vast. However, the consensus is clear. Staying at home does help. Dr. Gunn, whom you just heard from, one of three Duke experts discussing the pros and cons and when and how to reopen the economy. And to put the numbers into perspective, we're going to show you the average, which can help determine the curve. While you can see it goes up and down a little, it does not necessarily show a peak or a continuous downward spiral yet. Now, there's a group of volunteers committed to studying our social distancing behavior statewide. The leader of this group is Dr. Allison Lazard, an assistant professor of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism. Thanks for talking with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Sure. Tell us a bit about what your group and is and what you're tasked with. Absolutely. Um, our group here at UNC is a group of volunteers, as you mentioned, um, in the Hussman School of Journalism and Media, the Gilling School of Global Public Health, and of Political Science. And we are trying to do our part, like many, um, to contribute to the efforts. Um, and so we heard that uh, our uh, Department of Health and Human Services in North Carolina was looking for evidence-based communication, and we want to do our part to supply that. So we're um, trying to better understand what North Carolinians think about social distancing so that we can deliver messages that are helpful and guide them in uh, the proper behavior. Well, help us understand because we hear a lot about data models coming in almost weekly, changing based on what we are and are not doing. How does your group use, this, use the information and how do you translate it? We, like you, are also looking at the models and trying to understand what are the key behaviors. Um, we're looking to our experts in epidemiology and um, health behavior, and they're giving us key insights. And we, we look at this weekly. Um, so what behavior would be most advantageous now? Uh, and then we, we try to create messages that convey that. Do people want an overall reassuring voice um, that staying home is beneficial or reducing in-person socialization? Or do they want to hear specific tasks or things to avoid? Um, and so we're trying to uh, develop that and, and, and ask people of North Carolina, what do you think would be most helpful to hear? 
And Dr. Lazard, this information is coming in so quickly. What makes it the most challenging? I think our biggest challenge right now is that the key behaviors are changing. So the recommendations are changing. That's very confusing to us in North Carolina, and it makes it difficult to have a consistent message. Um, we know that staying home is a good idea, but uh, a lot of people aren't able to stay home. And so we need to be able to um, ca have caveats and, and customize our message for those folks so that we don't blame them or shame them for their behaviors. A uh, consistent message. You teach students at UNC, teaching them online now. Has the journalism school been able to involve the students in the process? Absolutely. We have students helping us in every step of the way. We have students uh, fielding surveys, analyzing data, crafting messages, both with the text and visuals. Um, so we have a group of undergraduate and master's students involved throughout the process. And it's such a joy to work with our, our school and the other students across other departments um, with this project. Do us a favor, tell them to keep up the good work. Dr. Allison Lazard, leader of the group with the UNC Husband School of Journalism, one of the best on the planet. Thanks for your time and your commitment. Thank you. David, getting some new information just released at 6.40 this evening from the Department of Health uh, down in Fayetteville. Cumberland County Schools telling us there that they're actually dealing with a case of COVID-19. A worker at Douglas Bird Middle School meal site has tested positive. That person was wearing a face mask during food distribution and gloves. But for the next 14 days, out of an abundance of caution, they are not going to have food distribution at that school location. So that's something that uh, if you go to that school to get food, a lot of people do. Want to let you know about that as we're getting more information. Also, Chapel Hill Carborough Schools releasing some information right here this week saying they're no longer going to be using buses. You see that talking about uh, in this paragraph right here to deliver food. Instead, they're going to use some volunteers to pick up meals at two of their hubs. Uh, one mentioned as Northside Elementary, uh, as well as another elementary school. We'll get this information online for you. But you know, when you're dealing with a lot of people, you're dealing with these food delivery programs, trying to get students the food they need. They're running into some issues, but obviously both of these districts are doing what they can to get things back under control quickly. Back to you. Thank you, Mark. Because of the pandemic, this year's NFL draft will be unlike any we've ever seen. This year, no large crowds will be hanging on the commissioner's every announcement. This year, it'll be online, and you can listen to the draft on 99.9 .9 FM The Fan beginning at 7 o'clock Thursday night. If you'd rather watch it live, it'll be on ESPN or the NFL Network beginning at 8. And, of course, we'll have highlights on WRL News at 10 and 11. Today, we learned another FEMA shipment of PPE arrived in North Carolina this week. In his update this afternoon, Emergency Management Secretary Mike Sprayberry said the supplies have already been distributed in 67 counties, but the need is still there, not just for hospitals, but for assisted living facilities and first responders. Specifically, he says gowns are the biggest need. In our ongoing effort to spread facts, not fear, we take a closer look at the deaths being reported in North Carolina. Coming up next, WRL Digital reporter Tyler Dukes joins us live to break down the deaths reported in our state and what makes them counting what makes counting them more complicated than you may think. And don't forget to sign up for our daily coronavirus podcast updates. Our five minute daily briefings come down every afternoon. Just search coronavirus North Carolina news brief wherever you get your podcasts. You're watching coverage you can count on with WRAL News.
a beautiful and windy spring Tuesday. Meteorologist Kat Campbell is here with your first look at your Wednesday forecast. Kat? And what brought the wind today was a cold front. So it is going to be a little cooler tomorrow behind the front. We'll be waking up to temperatures in the mid-40s at 8 a.m. tomorrow, but plenty of sunshine throughout the day. We're right back up to 58 degrees by lunchtime. High temperatures tomorrow in the mid-60s, not so windy. So it should be a nice day to get some fresh air. That is going to change, though. On Thursday, we're under the threat for severe storms. The highest threat are level 2 risk for the southern part of our viewing area. We'll have a closer look at the storm threats and the timeline for this storm system coming up tonight at 10 on Fox 50. All right, Kat, thank you. Earlier in this newscast, we showed you a curve our team of digital reporters is using to track cases in North Carolina. A similar chart tracks deaths. More than 240 people have died in North Carolina. You can see this graph shows the average number of daily deaths, and it is still rising. And while the numbers will unfortunately continue to rise, our data trackers at WRAL are organizing information and numbers in a way to give us a real picture of where we are in this pandemic. One of those is Tyler Dukes. And Tyler, we wanted to have you on tonight to discuss death cases specifically. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Tyler, talk about the measures you and the digital data team are taking to count the cases and what makes it so challenging. Right, so we're looking at this curve a couple of different ways. I mean, we are in real time trying to track the county by county number of deaths and cases, which you will see both on our website and on our broadcast. And that's sort of the cumulative curve that you've seen go up over time. We're also trying to take a closer look at the new cases, the new deaths day over day, and how that sort of changed on average. And you'll sort of notice in some of these bars, bar charts and graphs that that number can be a little spiky. And the reason why we're trying to sort of uh, smooth that out with that seven-day rolling average is so we can get a better sense of how this is sort of changing over time. So we're tracking that a couple different ways, and we're trying to present that to the public so they can essentially see what we see when we're looking at, you know, how we're doing in terms of our reaction to coronavirus. Uh, Tyler, why do state officials say it's possible to arrive at essentially two different numbers for deaths? Yeah, so we actually, as part of this effort, we teamed up with several different newsrooms across the state, uh, newspapers, nonprofit, journalism organizations, and other TV stations, to take a look at how the state actually counts deaths. Now, the state here is trying to go for the most conservative estimate of deaths due to coronavirus. And so what that means in practice is that they're only counting deaths with positive con confirmations, essentially the lab test coming back saying, this is a COVID-19 case. But one of the other ways to track that is to review death certificates. And so this team over the past couple of days has requested and reviewed thousands of death certificates from counties all over the state. And what we found was a really interesting picture because there are lots of cases we have found where you know, someone will die in a hospital um, and there will be a death certificate recorded but either COVID-19 will not be listed on that death certificate or will, there will be sort of a pending result because that result was still waiting for a, a lab uh, confirmation of that case. Uh, Tyler, what else are you learning from the coalition's review of these death certificates? You know, it's been really interesting to, to spend the last couple of days reviewing um, how these certificates are, are sort of created and logged. Because, again, you know, these are the official uh, uh, tracking system for how people die in the state. And one of the things that has been really interesting to me is the inconsistency. Uh, death certificates are documents that have to be produced really quickly. 
And as we know from you know our coverage of the last several weeks, is in, in many cases, these tests can take days to come back and confirm a COVID-19 test. So, you know, health officials are really trying to balance this need to be able to produce these documents quickly with accurate information and to, again, be conservative in their overall estimate of the number of people who have died of COVID-19. So, you know, you're seeing some cases where these death certificates are listing COVID-19 and some where they're not, even though they are counted in the death toll, because, again, these death certificates and the the lab results kind of come back at different times. Mm. Yeah, Tyler, the science of numbers is, is enough to give anyone a headache. And it's not for the faint of heart. It takes a certain individual or individuals. Talk about the challenges you face trying to do this on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to just be very careful. I mean, we're using a combination, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, we're going after the death certificates in particular, because we want to try to gauge uh, some numbers that the state is giving us with a couple different sources. And so that's one of the the, the, uh, reasons we sought this project out. Uh, You know, I think we're trying to really balance the need to inform people and to let them know what's happening on the ground with some of the realities on the ground, which is that tracking this stuff across an entire state and 100 different counties is difficult. It's difficult for us. It's difficult for the state. And so we also have to make sure that we're we're knowing what we do not know about these numbers. We all appreciate the work you're doing. What people need now is information. WRL investigative digital reporter Tyler Dukes, thank you. It is complicated. And this is just some of the data Tyler and the digital team are updating daily on WRL.com to keep you informed. We also have a county by county breakdown of cases, updates to the number of people being tested, as well as unemployment numbers and how those numbers are changing over time. That does it for our news at 7 o'clock. Our next newscast is at 10 o'clock on Fox 50 and 11 o'clock here on WRAL. Have a good night.